Well, my name is uh, Pastor Brad Stahl, senior pastor here at First Baptist, and I think you have an outline in your bulletin that I'm going to ask you to take out. If you do not have one of those, lift up your hand. I know an usher will be right there. There are a few up here in the front. If we have some ushers who can help us over in the front uh, to deliver those down there. Um, We are in a series that we started last week called Worldviews where we are talking about our beliefs and how those beliefs lead us into actions. And, you know, there was something interesting that happened this last spring. Uh, There was a mini-TV series on the National Geographic channel called The Story of God. Did anybody happen to catch that? It was about three, four episodes. Okay, there there were a few of you who did. I, I didn't get a chance to see it. But um, it's called, as I said, The Story of God. It it starred and was narrated by an Oscar-winning actor and director and a TV host who has played the uh, God character in a number of um, Hollywood movies over the past decade or so. Um, And as I looked at this, I thought, you know, it's kind of interesting how different generations um, kind of identify with actors in this godlike role. In fact, let me, let me show you just a couple. I think you know some of these. Uh, you, you know who that guy is? Charlton Heston, right? Now, this was the Moses role that he played, but a lot of people kind of attribute God to, to that role. Um, let me show you another one. Remember that one? Okay, some of you do, some of you don't. Who is that? George Burns uh, played that kind of role in Oh God. Um, and then um, the, the one that was on this show, The Story of God, is the actor most recognized for the role that I think today many people kind of cast him in. Huh? Right? What's his name? Mor- Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, right? And the oddity of the National Geographic show is that it was the quote-unquote character of God exploring the concept of God. And it kind of, uh, he endeavored off into many different countries and many different religions and looked at them and explored them. And, and he's played, and this is what kind of makes it odd, he's played the God role in Evan Almighty and Bruce Almighty and some of those kinds of things. But Morgan Freeman himself has a lot of questions about how God actually works. Asking questions such as, where do we come from? What's our purpose? And where do we go when we die? And those are the questions that most often we have to come to and look at how we answer those from our own view of the world or world view. And so my challenge over these next few weeks is, what is your worldview? And what does it say about those questions? If you were here last week, we covered seven popular worldviews. And um, I won't take the time to go over each of those individually, but uh, they're up here on the screen. Let me just give you kind of the tag phrase. You don't have to take notes on these. It was in last week's message. If you weren't here, go back and listen to last week's message because it's kind of foundational for this series. But basically in postmodernism, which is what we live in, it's the anything goes type of mentality. Or do you live in a materialism kind of worldview that says the one with the most toys is the one who wins? Or individualism, the me first mentality, 
hedonism that says, if it feels good, that's what I'm going to do. Or naturalism that says God doesn't exist, so God doesn't even matter in the equation. Now, those are seven secular worldviews that you will see all over our American culture and society today. I also introduced you to two uh, religious worldviews. Most religions break up into these two. One, legalism, that says keeping rules and rituals are what earns God's blessing. So whether that's through karma, or I do things just right, or I say so many of these kind of prayers, then God's blessing is upon me. Or the other one that we call traditional Christianity or historical Christianity, that is that God saved me by grace for his purpose. That by grace I'm saved, and he has a purpose for my life. And what I've come to realize is that when you look at the worldviews, they all kind of go through this sieve of answering these three questions. And you have them on the top of your outline, so here's your fill-ins for today. Here's the first question that all these worldviews come after. Where did we come from? Which is story of creation. The second question that they all ask is why is the world so messed up, which is the story of the fall, and then what is the solution, which is the redemption. So all these different worldviews and all the religions across the world, they all have their different teachings on where this goes. And what I want to challenge you with here today and over the next few weeks is what does your worldview say about those questions? What does your worldview say? And if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, can you give reason for the faith that you have? In fact, look what it says out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And would you read this with me? Just, let's just read it together off the screen. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, if you have come to that place of setting Christ above all, if you have come to that place of saying, yes, he is holy in my life, then are you prepared to give a defense for why? Are you prepared to live out those convictions? Are you prepared to live, as we say, for him, if that's where you have him in your life? Some of you here today have not thought about connecting those dots. And I pray today you do. Now, others of you, you've gone over this, you know this, you are settled on your worldview. I hope it will more solidify you to be able to give that defense. I just talked with a gentleman right before the service here today. He says, I've been witnessing in my workplace, and I'm needing to do that. I feel God's calling me to do that. We all need to have that kind of defense and be prepared to share the reason for the hope that we have in us today. So that's what we're going to cover here today. And so today's question, where did we come from? Which is probably one of the deepest, most foundational questions that any of us could ask. Because what you believe about that question changes every decision you make. It changes how you think about yourself. It changes the self-confidence that you have in your life. Uh, How you treat other people changes by your worldview. What you do in crisis moments changes with your worldview. What's your worldview? 
You know, a number of years ago, there's a gentleman in our church who uh, was in the preliminary stages of cancer. He was diagnosed by the doctor. It changes what you do with that kind of a diagnosis. What's the step? He actually called us here at the church. He said, Pastor Brad, can you guys pray over me? Can you anoint me with oils? It talks about in James. It says, absolutely. We'd be happy to do that. That is a part of his worldview of understanding that God is in charge of this. God is bigger than this. And the Bible says that if you're having some difficulties with those kind of things, come, pray. The leaders of the church can pray over you. That's a part of his choices that he made to, to, to take that, what, what, a situation that came before him, and to say, this is what I'm going to do with it. What do you do in those kind of situations? Well, it's dictated upon your worldview. And for some, today, as I said, this will be a great reminder for others. Maybe this is the first time that you've even thought about connecting these dots. But this should be life-changing for you. This should dictate and change how you do life. In fact, look at the verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read this last week. Let me read it to you again. It says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. There, there's the word, worldview, right in there in that verse in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Where Paul says, we used to just see Christ in that way. He says, though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. And then here's the verse that should rock us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You are a different person. If you are in Christ, if you have given your life to him and said, I want to follow him in his ways, that should affect everything about your decisions for the rest of your life. And by the way, if you have made that decision to follow Christ, but you haven't gotten baptized, do so right after the service. You go right through those doors. Pastor Derek will take you through on, on what we believe about baptism around here and why it's so important and what the Bible says we should do in getting baptized. So I encourage you, take that step because it is a step of sharing that I'm a different person. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so very specifically now, let's get to the answer to this. Where did we come from? First point I wrote down is this. God created everything. Our biblical answer to this question begins with God created everything. In fact, this is so foundational to a biblical worldview that in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible... God states this. Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. This last uh, Wednesday, I had the chance to share that verse with our preschoolers here. We, we have two chapels that we do. One's our preschool and one's our elementary school. And um, I, I got a chance to say, hey, I'm going to talk to your mommies and daddies, your grandpa and grandmas about this today. But I explained the same verse to them, that as little children, what we believe is that God created the heavens and the earth. That, that belief was taken at face value for thousands of years. Thousands of years, people said, okay, I, I can believe that. That, that. that makes sense to me. Yeah, God created. It wasn't until the age that we've now kind of come into this with, with this, you know, this postmodernism and this sense of enlightenment and reason that we now have to come and explain 
why we are here. Scientists have felt this need, okay, you know what, I'm not sure that I believe what the Bible says about this, so let's just explain this to everybody. And they've come up with what you can see here with Time Magazine, the Big Bang, what do they call it, the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, that's what it is, the Big Bang Theory, that, that all of a sudden it was boom, and then we were here. Well, you know what's interesting about the Big Bang Theory? is that it actually gives a lot of credence to God's creation. Because if there was a Big Bang, you have to ask, who pulled the trigger for the Big Bang to go off? Right? Right? You follow me on that one? Yeah, yeah. Now, many scientists will actually look at that and say the Big Bang Theory affirms the existence of their faith. In fact, let me show you just a couple examples of this. Dr. Francis Collins one of the world um, leaders in uh, just incredible scientific mind, um, is the director of the Human Genome Project, literally mapping human DNA, I mean, off the charts, IQ, and what he does. He wrote a book where he talked about moving from atheism to theism to a belief in God and now is a Christian. And let me tell you what he said. Here's what he says. He says, the Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation. I cannot see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force outside of space and time could have done that. That's a scientific mind that's coming out that and saying that. He goes on to say, despite massive improbabilities, the properties of the universe appear to be finely tuned for life. Once more, he says, humans are also unique in ways that defy evolutionary explanation and point to our spiritual nature. Or you say, well, you know what? He's a Christian now. He's a Christian scientist. You know, like he's got an axe to grind. He's seen it through a Christian worldview. Well, not always. He, he developed in that. But let me share with you another gentleman by the name of Stephen Hawkins. And many of you um, will recognize his name, Stephen Hawking, excuse me, um, who he is widely lauded as one of the most intelligent minds, brilliant minds of our time. Let me share with you what Stephen Hawking says. He says, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. The odds against that are enormous. He says, I think there are clearly religious implications going on here. That, that's his way of kind of getting at God was behind this. In fact, the famous astronomer, Sir Francis Frederick Hoyle, talks about the incredible odds against a planet like ours even existing. Look at what he says. He says, there is not a chance this earth is here by chance. That's a great line. There's not a chance that our earth is here by chance. Which, by the way, let me just share, if, if you have a junior hire or a senior hire, um, they just went through uh, about a three-week message series on creation and evolution. Where, and this is with Pastor Andrew and Pastor MJ, um, our junior high and senior high pastors. 
And uh, they went through, because we, we have a, a scientist who is at UOP, who attends our church. Um, we also have some Stockton Unified School District teachers, one who is teaching them science. They both came in and talked with the junior hires and the senior hires, and then they flopped the departments. And they shared what is being taught out in the public schools and preparing our youth already to be looking ahead to that and saying, what are you going to believe? What are you going to think about when you are presented with some of these types of things? And so they gave some of these theories to our youth to begin to think about and, and develop develop their concept, their worldview on what they believe. If you don't have your youth going to our youth department, I encourage you, have them go because they are doing wonderful, wonderful things there. But it backs up this thought. We believe a biblical worldview says there's not a chance that this earth is just here by chance. That's what the Bible says. But you know what's interesting about the Bible? This is very foundational, so please understand this as well. It really is not written to answer the question, how? I mean, we want to know that with our scientific mind and the times that we live in. But the Bible was written thousands of years ago, and it never set out to prove the existence of God. It doesn't answer the how question. The Bible answers the why question. Why were we created? In fact, look what it says out of Isaiah Uh, Chapter 45, it says, He, that is God, established it, the world. He did not create it empty, but he formed it to be, what's the word there? Inhabited. He formed it so that we could live here on this earth. We're going to talk about why we are here living on this earth. In other words, God created the earth with just the right fine-tuning, just the right distance from the sun, just the right atmospheric pressure so that we could live, so there could be life here on earth. Again, let me quote from Stephen Hawking um, from his best-selling book, A Brief History of Time. Remember, this is not a traditional Christian uh, man who's got some theistic axe to grind to prove Christian faith. This does, he doesn't come with a Christian worldview. He's just speaking very frankly as a scientist. Look at what he says. He says, It would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun in this way except as the act of a god who intended to create beings just like us. So here's one of the most brilliant minds of our time who's coming down to say, this didn't just happen by chance. There needs to be, there has to be a God behind it who created us. That supports what a biblical worldview is. That God created this world, it's inhabited by us because God loves us, He desires a relationship with us, and so that first pillar that we need to learn and and, and put our worldview upon is that God created everything. Let me give you the second then pillar that I want you to understand, and that is this, that God custom designed each of us. He custom designed each of us. In fact, let me read to you out of Psalm 139. Beautiful verses. Many of you have heard them before, but now hear them in this context. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Even before you were born, God knew the amount of days that you would live. And you see these pictures now that scientifically we're able to capture of these young lives. What this verse means is that you, when you are conceived in your mother's womb, God saw it happening. And God helped you and he developed you. And what that means, please hear me on this, especially you young people here who are in your schools still. Do not let a philosopher or a scientist or a professor or even a parent say that you are an accident because you are not an accident. You are here for a purpose and a reason. Now, your parents may have said, whoa, you were an accident, all right? That's a little different story. Yes, maybe you were not planned, but God planned you. Amen? God planned you. And you are here. You are alive. You are breathing. You are on this earth because God planned you and he wants you here. God created everything. God has a custom design for each and every one of our lives. Let me go to the third pillar. The third pillar is this. God chose us to love us. God chose us to love us. I mean, do you realize that the Bible teaches that although you were created last, you were thought of first. Although you were created on the sixth day, the last of the creation, he thought of you first. In fact, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. God God chose us in Christ. In Christ, a relationship with Christ was allowing us to be in a relationship with God. God chose us. God planned you. God chose you before time began. And that, when you truly understand what that means, that is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing that he would think of you and you. And he would think of you. Before time even began, he had you in mind. He had you in mind. That he would have a relationship with you. That's why he made you. That's why he created you. He custom designed each and every one of us. And he made us to love us. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament prophets. I I probably should more because I'll probably get up to heaven and they'll be saying, hey, why didn't you ever come read me, right? Um, I, I, I don't do it quite as much as probably I should, but there's a beautiful nugget out of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Look at what it says. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud 
singing. There's this, there's this imagery there that other translations even say he dances over you in enjoyment of how much he loves you. I mean, have you ever seen a, a, a first-time parent do that with their child? Or maybe even a first-time grandparent. You guys get pretty excited about those grandkids, too. I mean, just, just, just maybe looking at a child, maybe they're asleep, and, and you're just looking over them, and they're just so peaceful, and you just feel like, wow, that's mine. Right? That, that's how God looks upon his children, because he loves us so much. And they bring, his children, children just bring so much joy to our lives as well. I remember one time when my, my son was five, and he said, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, you know why I love peanut butter? I look at him like, no, he said, because of the jelly. <laughs> like, yeah, all right, makes total sense to me. Good for you, son. <laughs> our kids, our parents, we, we love our kids. Love your grandkids. God, God rejoices over you like that. Made you, created you, loves you. So, so let me back up just a second and ask, because this is really where it's going. Why, why do these beliefs make a difference? Why does your worldview make a difference? What's the implications of this? And that's what we're going to talk a little bit more about next week. Because we believe what I just talked about, maybe you don't, maybe you're still exploring that, that's okay. Keep coming around, let's keep talking about that. But because and if we understand God in those areas, what's the implications? And we're going to be talking more about that next week. But, but watch this. Can you see now, if, if you are told by the world that you're just an accident... Can you see if you're told by the world that, you know, you were really just created out of this slimy pit, and then you became like an, like an ape, and then you grew up into humans, what we call the goo to the zoo to you, right? Can you see that if that's who you are, and you're just some accident, that you have no purpose in life? You are just galactic trailer trash, is, is all you really are. Go home. God bless you. Have a great day with that one, Right? And if you really believe that, then you don't value yourself or you don't value others. And so there becomes these random acts of violence that people just do. And it's like, oh, well, really doesn't matter anyway. And can you see how having this worldview, if you don't have this worldview, of Christians, uh, of biblical Christianity and the value of life, if you don't have it, then the value of life just gets sucked out of us and out of our culture, and out of our society, which very frankly is where we are today in 2016. I mean, with the, the uh, abortion, with euthanasia, with the murder rate. I mean, it is easy to look at it and say the value of life is at an all-time low in 2016. It really is. But when you have a biblical worldview... And when you understand that God created you, that he custom designed you, that he chose to love you, that changes everything. It should change everything. Maybe, maybe let me say it more appropriate. It should change everything. I heard an interview a number of years ago um, with a gentleman who had a world shift, or uh, had a shift in, in worldviews. He kind of went from this... Um, 
uh, sense of rules and rituals, legalism kind of thing, to, to a Christian worldview. His name is Bono. Many of you recognize that name. He is the uh, world-renowned um, lead singer of the band U2, won numerous Grammy Awards, man time of the year a number of years ago with Bill Gates on his charity work and such. Well, um, Bill Hybels, who is a church pastor, does great things with leadership, interviewed Bono a number of years ago. Our, our staff actually went and saw Bill Hybels up at um, Bayside Church, and a marvelous God's hand has been upon him for many, many years. But a number of years ago, he interviewed Bono because he had understood that Bono now had Christian faith and a Christian belief. And, and watch now as Bono kind of talks about what that means for him, that it's not just something in theory, that this is now something that makes a difference in his life. Take a look. We can be the instrument of God's grace. Love thy neighbor is not advice. It's a command. And, and who is our neighbor in the global village? You know, can an accident of longitude and latitude um, really decide whether you live or whether you die? In the global community, in a globalized world, can you say, because that's happening over there, it's not really my concern. Well, you can't if you're a Christian. You cannot. And, you know, there's 2,003 verses of Scripture pertaining to, to, to the poor. I mean, second only to personal redemption and, and salvation. The main thrust of the Scriptures is to, is to meet Christ through working with the poor and, and disadvantaged see it in Isaiah 58, Matthew 25. I mean, it's excoriating. Jesus only speaks of judgment once. You know, so, so only once. And it's, it's, it's that moment when, when the day of judgment comes and he said, I will separate you to the left and to the right, sheep and goats, clothed me when I was naked, who fed me when I was hungry, who visited me when I was uh, alone, when I was in prison. These are my people. And they say... Oh, my God, well, you know, but, but that's not you, uh, 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 Lord. And he goes, as much as you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. It's about judgment. That parable isn't a soft, warm, fuzzy feeling, the least of these, you know, feed the hungry. That's saying, that's serious. That, so that defines you or not as part of the kingdom or not. Your service to the poor, to the imprisoned, this is serious stuff. A friend of mine uh, is a, a very wise man, and somebody I've grown up with, and uh, he just said to me, he said, stop asking God to bless what you're doing, Bono. He said, find out what God is doing, because it's already blessed. A biblical Christian worldview should change how we live our lives. Let me say that again. A biblical Christian worldview should change how we live. Christians living as Christians can change the world. You say, well, Pastor Brad, I don't, I don't get the Bible. I don't understand. I don't understand the biblical context of it and all 
That's why we're doing what we're doing on September 17th. And there should be twice as many of us signed up for that, Pastor Scott. Come on now, huh? Right? We we should all get there to understand greater depth in God's Word. And so I hope you will come for that. I also hope you'll come and join in with our all-in church-wide series where we go, we're going to be going through God's Word, the Old Testament again, to get the foundations, the undergirding of that biblical worldview. It's all there for us. God's given it to us. We don't have to scratch our heads and say, I don't get this life. No, God has explained it in great, great ways. And so I hope you're going to be a part of that. And, and, and I'll also add, even if you're not a Christian, if you're just still exploring this, come. You will learn tons. As well as those of you who have known Christ for decade upon decade upon decade, you will gain greater understanding of what it means to following Him. You know, um, if people ask me, uh, I, I don't get the Bible, I don't understand it, where, where do I start? I, I'll usually tell them, why don't you start in the book of John? Because New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're here today and, and you really don't know where to begin reading your Bible, but you're ta- today you're saying, wow, I, I really want to start doing this, pick up the Bible, read the book of John. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about John. John um, was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and he wrote most of the New Testament. Well, let me say this, more of the New Testament than anyone else except Paul. Paul wrote most of it um, uh, beyond the, the four Gospels. But John wrote one of those Gospels, and he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also wrote Revelation. He outlived all the other disciples. He was nicknamed the Apostle of Love. That, that, that you know, Barry White. Get your Barry White voice on, right? The Apostle of Love. That, 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 that's John, okay? Uh, he, he, he writes more about love than any of the other writers. Eighty different times he talks about and uses the word love. In fact, 35 times in the book of 1 John alone does he go after that. But the greatest testimony to how God's love is, is is the changed life that John experienced in his own life. His nickname, along with his brother, was Sons of Thunder. There's a real loving name, right? Yeah, he, he wasn't that way to begin with. I mean, his life was changed. We think of him as love, 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 the apostle whom Jesus loved. But it wasn't always that way. In fact, there was a time in Luke chapter 9 where there's a story where Jesus gets kind of rejected by a city. The city doesn't want him, and so Jesus decides to go away. John pulls Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, uh, why don't we, like, call down fire from heaven and it just, just consumes them and just blows them up? That would be really cool. Can we do that? Oh, I want to see that. And Jesus says, oh, John. I mean, really? Is, is, is that what it's about? No. No, come on, John. There's another time in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10, where he pulls Jesus aside and, and he says, hey, you know what? I, I got a little favor to ask of you. Um, can, like, my brother and I, can we be, like, vice Messiah and, and vice Messiah to you? Like, you are the Messiah, right? But can we be on your right and your left because we want to be the vice Can we get on the ticket, Jesus? Can you, can you get us in on that? And again, Jesus is like, oh, guys, that's, that's not what it's about. Come on now. I mean, you, you really don't even know what you're asking. And they're like, no, no, we do, really. Mom said that we could do it, so can we come and, and do it? It's, it's all right. No, can we? She says, no, that's not what it's about. And in fact, in, in that same passage in Luke chapter 9, we see that Peter, James, and John, 
go up on this mountain and, and Jesus is transformed. We, we see, they see his glory for all that it's worth the very first time. And Moses and Elijah up there, I mean, it is a radical, radical uh, view that they are gaining. And within day, a day after the transfiguration, the disciples are caught in an argument over who's the greatest. No, I am. No, no, you are. No, I am. No, you are not. I am. And, and here's John. John, who thinks the kingdom is about power and conquest and muscle and control, that was their worldview of what God was doing through Jesus. Until he sees God's steadfast love in Bodied in Jesus for these three years as he became a disciple of Christ. And he sees love embodied. And he sees love die on a tree, a cross, as he's kneeling there at the foot of it. And he cares for the mother of Jesus. And he loves her. And he spends time in prison as he is radically changed by this faith and considers it probably even a joy as he dwells upon this love that it is so different. And even as an old, old man exiled to an island, he talks about and writes a letter that culminates in God's love because he is so radically changed by what Jesus has done in him. That's why he writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, because God is love. And that's why in 1 John 4.19 he says we love because God first loved us. Hey, there's a different worldview. We love now because God first loved us. Which, by the way, proves that God's love is not based upon your performance. Okay, It's not the legalism. It's not the rules and regulations. It's not because God, the Bible says that before he made you from the foundations of the world he knew you to love you. He moved first. And it's why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, that John says, you know what? God loves you, and I'm trying. I'm doing my best. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, shouldn't we? I mean, that is a radically changed worldview. Changed worldview. I, I told you that... Um, I'll recommend to people to start reading the book of John if they're not very familiar with Scripture. Um, over the past few months, I've been visiting a young man uh, who's been incarcerated down at the county jail. And um, we've had a lot of time to talk about Jesus. And um, he was talking to me about, you know, he didn't really go to church. He's been a few times. And, and I said, you know, would you do me a favor? If we get your Bible, would you read it? He said, well, sure. Yeah, I got time. Um, I said, okay. How about pick up the book of John, and you read it, and I'll come, and we can answer questions. We can talk, and we can dialogue about it. Wasn't sure if he really was going to. The first time I came back after he had the Bible, he said, Oh, Pastor Brad, Pastor, you, uh, I had no idea Jesus was so cool. I said, Really? He said, You wouldn't believe what he did. And I said, Well, try it. Let me see if I would. He said, Do you believe he turned water into wine? I mean, how cool is that? That he walked on water. Like he's going all around with his disciples and he's teaching, he's sharing with people. He went to the cross then and he died. I had no idea all that was in there. I said, yeah, pretty cool, huh? Like, yeah. 
I said, if you keep reading without excitement, I'll keep coming and let's keep talking about this. I mean, he was so amazed by who Jesus is and what he did. And, and I wasn't wanting to move real quick with him because I know, like, there are no atheists in, you know, foxholes and prisons type of thing. And so I, I wanted to just wait, and I went out a few different times. And about, about three or four visits in, I finally said, okay, you know what? You seem to be so amazed with this Jesus. Let me tell you what he has actually done for you. And we went through the plan of salvation. And right there, across the glass in this cell, he said, I want to give my life to this Jesus. And so I put my hand up on that plexiglass, and he put his hand up on that plexiglass, and we prayed together. He accepted Christ into his life, and things have been different for him since he's been in there. In fact, some of the inmates, they get together, and they pray together. But they were led by another person who normally did that, and that person was transferred out to another prison. And so they all said, well, you know what? You're the next one in line, then. You're the preacher, man. You need to lead us in, pr- in prayer. He said, Pastor Brad, how do I pray? I said, you just talk. You just talk to God. Because he is right there with you. you, you your life has been changed. And we've, we've had a lot of time to talk about why he's there and what God's doing in the midst of that. And that God didn't cause it, but God's working through it. And, and he is getting a whole different worldview. It's a different kind of worldview that we all need to have as well. And if you have Christ in you, you're a new creation. And you should be different than the person next door if they don't have Christ in them. And we should be praying for the person next door because we want them to come to that place of saying, yes, I want Christ in me. And their life should be different as well. That, that, that should be a different, there should be a different agenda, a different purpose for our lives. And I don't care if you hear that message from Scripture. I don't care if you hear that message from John the Apostle. I don't care if you hear that message from Bono. I don't care if you hear the message from a changed person in prison. But you've got to know that's the message that the Holy Spirit is giving to each of us. That you're a new creation. You're a change. And your worldview should reflect that. Perhaps today, though, you haven't made that decision. You're in the right place. We're going to take a moment here. Folks, if you've accepted Christ into your life, just pray for the person on your left and your right, and we're going to take care if there's anybody here who has not yet done that because God is knocking, God is here, and God is ready for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I I thank you for an opportunity that we have had to hear your voice, a voice that speaks in our culture, although our culture kind of drowns out. Lord, forgive us for letting that happen, be it TV, be it media, be it books, be it periodicals, things on the internet. Lord, we we, we spend so much time in the world that your voice oftentimes gets drowned out. But we have given you now this last hour. And I know your voice has spoken to us. I know your presence is here. And God, I, I thank you for so many people across this auditorium who have said, yes, I'm on board. I've given my life to Christ. I want to live more for him. But Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have not yet done that. And today's a day where everything can change. And so if you are here today and you would be honest about saying, I've not yet given my life to Christ, but I am open to making that decision. Then would you just open your heart right now? Open your heart to Jesus and say, God, would you... Reveal your son to me. 
And if you're ready to make that prayer of decision, it would be as simple as this. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, I'm making you Lord today. In fact, you can just say these words in your heart. I'm making you Lord today of my life. I'm asking you to come in to show me how to live. I'm asking for forgiveness for the things I've done wrong. And today I'm making a choice to follow you. Now that's the prayer. That's a prayer of surrender. That's a prayer of saying, I want to live my life differently. So let me ask you. If you made that prayer right now, Scripture says, you believe in your heart, you confess in your mouth. I'm just going to ask you to do this. If you just look up at me, every head bow, every eye closed, except those who have made that decision right now, if you just make eye contact with me, just raise your hand, just so I can know you made that decision today. Praise God. Praise God. Up in the balcony. Yep, I see you right there. Praise God. Others, I'm looking up in the balcony. Praise God. Praise God. Yep. Good for you. Good for you. Down low, let me just kind of go through. What else? Praise God for you. You've made that decision. You're changing your life. Yep, I see you there. Praise God. Others, top or bottom, praise God. God, I thank you for these brothers and sisters who have now entered into your kingdom, who have said yes to you. God, what an amazing story now they have to live. You know, let me talk to you just for a second, those of you who made that decision right now. We want to help you grow. We want to help you take your next step. And so as you leave this place, we have some information for you, some materials we want you to gather from our Next Step Center. Just pick those up right outside in our Next Step uh, Center and the Welcome Center and get involved with a study that we have. Get involved with what's coming up here because that's how you grow in your faith. I'd also love to meet you and just talk with you, pray with you. We want to help you take that next step. God, I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters across this auditorium. For those who have received Christ years and years, some decades ago, God, I pray that we all would come to this place today of living our faith out for you, of Christians living as Christians, making a difference in this world. We want to do that for one another. We want to help one another. We want to encourage one another. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit living in and through us will make the difference. God, we love you. I pray how we live this week will be reflective of that incredible love for you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.